Welcome to TMA Talks. I'm Scott Stewart, the CEO of the Turnaround Management Association, where we talk everything TMA. Today, we are pleased to have Professor Edward Altman, Professor Emeritus of Finance at NYU Stern School, and having a recently uh, published book, Corporate Financial Distress, Restructuring and Bankruptcy, um, which I think you said, Professor Altman, is just out, what, a month or two? It's published about a month ago, and it's the fourth edition. The first one was in 1983, when the TMA was just a dream uh, in, uh, in people's eyes, perhaps. And today it's, uh, it's fourth, and uh, we always think the latest one is the best, but this one is uh, clearly better than the ones before, but the others have had a life of their own. And so I'm very pleased to be here with you, Scott, and to be here in Chicago. Well, uh, w- welcome, to the, welcome to the Windy City. <laughs> So let's let's take you back in time a little bit. Tell us a little bit about how the Z-score got started in its original iteration. Yeah, actually, I could mention something as a subtitle of uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about, perhaps, and that is 50-50-50. So 50, actually, it's now 51 years ago, we uh, built the original classic Z-score. And I'm uh, probably as surprised as anyone that it's still around today and, in fact, used more today than ever before. <clears throat> and uh, I think there are three reasons for that, um, and I'll get to the, to the question of why back then and what happened. Uh, first, it's um, uh, still pretty accurate, uh, 80 to 90 percent accurate within two years of bankruptcy, uh, predicting uh, distress and defaults. Um, it's pretty simple. You know, you don't have to be a statistical guru or a financial wizard to, um, to uh, utilize it uh, and to uh, understand it. And three, uh, it's free. You don't have to pay for it. Free? So, yes, absolutely. You Z-score for free. Absolutely. Okay, that, that's a bargain. That was a, a big mistake of mine 50 years ago. But, you know, <laughs> Scott, back, back 50 years ago, it was very difficult to patent intellectual property. Uh, and anyway, it's an equation, and uh, very difficult to, uh, to patent that. Anyway, it is free, which has really paid off uh, to me and hopefully to a lot of people over the years. And I'm absolutely convinced that if I was a student at UCLA, where I was then, two years earlier or two years later, I would never have built the model. And the reason is, I believe, two years earlier, there weren't the computer power of, of, available to researchers in social sciences like economics and finance <clears throat> to build models of this type, and you wouldn't have the computer firepower. You know, we use it. And Just abacus. Closer, closer to the mic. We'll add it, but closer to the mic. Uh, we used an abacus or a handheld uh, calculator. And two years later, if I was there, someone else would have built a similar model. So I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, and it's lived for now for 50 years. And uh, I think uh, the secret of its uh, longevity is the fact that although the markets have changed dramatically in credit, the basic fundamentals of what are good measurements and uh, forecasters of firm performance has not changed. Well, that kind of leads me into the second question. How has it morphed? I mean, granted, we've been through a ton of cycles over the course of the last 50 years. And I think you and I talking offline before would agree that this elongated period of artificial prosperity and huge leverage has been one of the great oddities in in economics in, in some period of time. Absolutely. 
And so how has the disease score morphed to still be timely today, particularly in this most recent cycle that seems like it's coming to uh, an end for various various reasons hopefully we'll get into today, but how has it yeah. morphed and how is it relevant in 2019? Well, first I should say the classic Z-score is exactly the same. It has not morphed. Same five variables, same weightings or coefficients. What has changed is the basis for categorizing a company as, say, vulnerable or in uh, financial distress or not. And I use a technique that I developed in 1989, actually, <clears throat> to uh, make it uh, applicable over time, something called a bond rating equivalent. So the score might be two, for example, for a company. Back 30 years ago or 40 years ago, a two was perhaps a very risky company, uh, one that perhaps uh, had a bond rating equivalent of triple C and was on the verge of financial distress. Today, two is a fairly good company and you get down to a score of zero, you're getting into the highly distressed area. So our model based on calibration with bond ratings and scores of companies at various bond ratings can change over time. Give you an example. Back in 1968, when we built the model, any firm with a score below 1.8, you know, that's kind of technical, but that's what it was, went bankrupt within two years, 100%. Any score with above three remained healthy for at least five years. Today, a score of 1.8 is the average for a B-rated company. And our calibration shows that a B-rated company in the United States today has about a 28% probability of default within five years. 72% of them do not default within five years. Oh, it was, but is that because of the state of lending and low interest rates and the fact that problem, potentially problematic situations are really just getting kicked down the road and not being addressed? Or is it a function of... Uh, banks and other lending institutions feeling comfortable that in this environment that's not a risky place to be? Well, first of all, back in the 1960s and 70s, there were no high-yield bonds. There were no junk bonds. So yeah, people I... had no uh, um, understanding that companies could be non-investment grade and still be reasonably good investments. And therefore, there was no money flowing to companies that had very uh, low scores and uh, equivalent, uh, if there were bonds, then equivalent ratings. Today, people are very comfortable with financing a B-rated company. In fact, it's the dominant junk bond out there because of the risk-return trade-offs of what they're offered in terms of returns of and the likelihood of default, plus very good statistics on recovery rates. And so the market has matured to understand that a B-rated company is a reasonable investment. Okay, so here's class. here's a curveball question: a B a B rated company, and all of a sudden, uh, something happens. Trade talks break down with China. The Fed gets Absolutely. jittery and pushes up uh, pushes up interest rates a couple of times. All of a sudden, that B rated company looks like a heck of a lot more risk than what it's looking like in the environment we've been comfortably sitting in now. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a good point because the ratings are not the basis of the model. 
the model for that company, especially if you do a pro forma on what their financials will look like given trade problems with uh, China, given a reduction in GDP growth, or given whatever, or, or a big rise in the leverage of a company, that that company is looking a lot worse than a B-rated company was just a short time ago. And you're absolutely right. Our models have not captured something, which is what you implied in that question, Scott. And that is, what would the uh, score imply for a company in a recessionary period right. as opposed to a expansion period like we're in now? Uh, and so, yes, I think the, a typical company with a score of 1.6, for example, which is the average score for a B-rated company today, uh, uh, in a recession period, more difficult to get financing. Of course. Uh, banks, uh, uh, Leary, required rates of return of investors much higher, is more likely to go bankrupt than one today uh, in, this, in today's uh, benign credit cycle so market. Is, so is the Z-score used for investment opportunity, risk management, or a combination of both? Oh, both for sure. Uh, I have a, a chapter in the book talking about applications of the Z-score, and I break it down into two types. From outside the firm, looking into it, for, for example, bankers, <clears throat> investors in bonds. And by the way, Bloomberg tells me that more people use the Z-score on their Bloomberg screen in the equity markets oh, than in the debt markets. That's really interesting. And, and the reason- Why is that? Yeah, why yeah. is that? I had, I had to scratch Speak my low. head at first uh, as well. In my opinion, the reason is the following. If you own stock in a company that goes bankrupt, you're more than likely gonna be wiped out. If you own the bonds, yes, you, you're not gonna be happy if it defaults, but the typical recovery rate on a corporate bond in default is around 45 cents on the dollar, and if you own the loans, it's probably 65 to 70 cents on the dollar recovery. So the reason why I think equity investors are really interested in it is because to avoid that tail risk, that, ability, that time when they're gonna be wiped out. Uh, but I was surprised, as uh, you implied when, when I mentioned that, <clears throat> uh, at first when uh, I was told by Bloomberg, which gets about five to 10,000 hits a day on Z-score. By the way, I don't get one penny. <laughs> I know. I think you mentioned it's free. <laughs> I mentioned that story probably in my annual speech in New York. Will this be a good time to remind people that the book has a lot of these insightful uh, pieces of information? Well, I hope I hope that they'll be able to decipher it. But we do we do have a, a chapter in there that does a retrospective on the fifty years. Right. Give you an example how things have changed in the debt markets. Maybe you know this because I might have asked you uh, uh, or the audience when I've spoken before. Uh, and I'll speak tomorrow here in Chicago. Uh, uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there were about 100 companies in the United States, industrial companies, with AAA ratings. How many today? Two. We've only got two AAAs left. Uh, Johnson and Johnson and Microsoft, and yet people are still investing, and they are yeah. putting blinders up to to risk because it's risk has become an anomaly. It's risk on right now, exactly. Well, risk risk on and high leverage, but people have not seen uh, any negative reverberations from taking the risk in these companies. You know, even the in the, even the companies you were defining as B rated companies that in another time would be. 
headed, headed for the end. Exactly. Well, you know as well as I do, you're a president of the Turnaround Management Association. Well, the TMA members are all very uh, savvy now that companies that normally would have gone bankrupt 10, 20, 30 years ago do not now because they have many avenues for survival. Uh, debt for equity swaps. Big, uh, big, big thing going distressed on Distressed right invest, uh, distressed exchanges, uh, which is much more popular now among the bankruptcy lawyers than they were many years ago. So here's, is it a Band-Aid or is it something that uh, really changes see that, the that, that was my next question. Is it a Band-Aid uh, or is it that uh, because we've gotten so used to risk being almost an irrelevancy uh, and not cascading into a problematic situation, because one of the things we do talk about with our members is we're not only about corporate renewal and corporate restructuring, we're about corporate health. Check in. Is the problem a big problem or is it a small problem or is the risk that you're seeing something that you could or should be managing now before it gets gets out of control? Yeah, absolutely. Which, which really leads me into my next question. Does the Z-score offer insights into kind of the state of the economy, what's coming down the road, changing environment, and what are you seeing if that's the case? Okay, uh, that's a great question, and it's one that I asked myself recently, uh, and the, the analysis went something like this. A lot of people are saying that there are similarities between the current market and what it was like in 2007. But if you ask the average analyst, is the American company today on average healthier or less healthy from a credit risk standpoint than it was 20, 30 years ago in 2007, 20 years ago, uh, sorry, t uh, 10 years ago or more, in 2007, right before the financial crisis? I think most people would say they're healthier. More profitability, more cash flow, uh, uh, and uh, higher ratings on average? The answer is we looked at the Z-score, median Z-score and Z-double prime, which I'd like to mention in a moment, which is a second generation Z-score model we built. We looked at both Z and Z-double prime, aggregated in 2007, aggregated in 2017. Guess what? Almost identical. Ah. So in other words, the average risk of default from our model today is about the same as it was in 07. Okay, so the risk of default is the same that it was before the crash. Correct, one year before the, uh, the, the crash. But you're not necessarily seeing signs that that uh, kind of uh, economic backlash is what we're situated for right now. No, I think uh, we're not ready for a crash, and uh, you know many people don't think we'll even have it. Uh, but all I'm saying is the vulnerability of American high yield companies, in particular, because those are the ones that are going to crash first. You know, the leverage loans, the high yield bond issuers, as well as, of course, small and medium sized firms that have similar Z scores but are not rated. Those are the ones that, when things turn, particularly in the real economy, and now I think we're getting to uh, some observations that is not very difficult to have, but we've looked at it very carefully, that the spike in default rates in bankruptcies will start, in my opinion, before the next recession. But once there is a recession, it will spike to 
record levels in dollar amount for sure, and maybe even in percentages. Probably not in the 10% range. This is Scott Stewart. I'm with Professor Edward Altman, Professor of Finance Emeritus at NYU Stern. Stay tuned for part two of TMA Talks with Professor Altman. Lots more to come.